pivoting is necessary. Fluidity is necessary. You, you, for what we do in this industry, we have to be flexible and move and hustle and, and shapeshift to just because somebody says no, doesn't mean no, you're done. You're not, you don't have it like bullshit. I think a no can be a pivot point. Um, another no can be a, a side post. You know what I mean? Like no's can mean uh, they're just diversions. They don't have to be walls or blockades or obstacles. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for all of the love. As of late, for all things 10,000 Knows, I've been doing a ton of Instagram Lives, checking in with past guests to hear how they're persevering through this quarantine, actor Q&As, all sorts of good stuff. And we've gotten incredible feedback on the Monday Morsels abbreviated solo episodes, which I am psyched about. Our weekly newsletter, by the way, if you want to be added to the mailing list, just go to 10,000knows.com and scroll down to fill out the little form there. It's super simple, and we will not flood your inbox with emails every day, I promise, just giving you a little added value to the podcast. Speaking of, if you dig this show, please consider rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. We're proud of our five-star rating, but we'd love more ratings, and here's why. The more ratings, the more visibility. We just want more people to know we exist, and apparently the amount of ratings is a huge factor for that. So we appreciate it. I appreciate it. One note about sound quality today. Because of the COVID quarantine, we're doing a ton of interviews over Zoom. So please forgive any sound quality that is less than studio grade. We just want to get these stories to you and these amazing guests out to you when we can. Okay. The main event, today's guest, Annabeth Gish. I think she is awesome. Lover, lover husband too, worked with him on Wind River, Wade Allen, award-winning stunt coordinator. And here's what I love. They are just so real. Both super talented, yes, but real, okay? Good parents, good people, right up my alley. But you guys like the bling and the credits and all that, so here we go. Annabeth made her screen debut at the age of 13 in a film called Desert Bloom opposite John Voight. Worked a ton as a kid. The big ones you may remember, Mystic Pizza with Julia Roberts, Shag with Phoebe Cates and Bridget Fonda. You'll hear in the interview how much my wife loves both of those films and Annabeth in them. After all that success, she graduates high school, goes to college, Duke University, no small feat, studies English and theater, graduates with honors, whatever, comes back to the business. Doesn't skip a beat. In the mid-90s, among other things, she does a few huge films, Wyatt Earp, The Last Supper, Nixon, Beautiful Girls. She does a ton of TV as well. She works so much, in fact, that I'm just going to give you a few more highlights. Brotherhood on Showtime, such a respected show. The West Wing, we think we were there at the same time, but we can't remember meeting each other on it. And let's just hyperspace to present day, her new series, Hashtag Free Rayshawn with Lawrence Fishburne for Quibi, the new platform from Jeffrey Katzenberg, has just come out and it is the most talked about show on this innovative new platform. But above all of the accolades is a woman, as our title suggests, that is relevant beyond the Hollywood limelight. Here she is, Annabeth Gish. I was just telling someone that I was going to interview you. And they're like, oh my God, I, I love her. I love her. She's done so much. And, and I, I was thinking about how we met and we met through, well, I guess through Wade, your husband, who was the uh, stunt coordinator on Wind River. And then I did a something at Unplugged Meditation and you were there. And that's kind of how we met. I was a student of yours for the unplugged meditation. Yeah. And, but I had also been a follower of your podcast 
truth be told, like I think because all of us as as journeyman actors, journey women actors, whatever gender you want to say, we're all we all follow each other with the people who kind of are sticking it through and riding it out and and yeah, I've always felt like you and I are very similar in that um we have families, we are pretty normal I mean I'm not I mean what is normal but we all have you know we're we're still like we have a sort of a standard work ethic and we're working and we're creative but we also have a life yeah what I it's hard for me to even believe that someone of your status was listening to this before even that we, you know, knew each other. So it's, it's so flattering and it's kind of so cool that if you build something, maybe people are out there listening that you admire, you know? Absolutely. I think that's the sort of the, the, the neutralizing element is that everybody is in the same boat. We really are all just trying to be seen and heard and, and reach each other. You know, so I think podcasts like you kind of were on the podcast loop before other people were either. So you you jumped on. That's great to hear because I felt like I was like, you know, behind the curve. And now I'm feeling like, oh, maybe I actually had decent timing because it does seem like everybody has has jumped in now. And um, but you you so you started acting when you were really young from what I understand. Um, tell me about that. Just like, let's just like rewind back to growing up and how early this was for you. Okay. Um, I, in a nutshell, I started very young. I was literally, I grew up in, I was born in New Mexico, raised in Iowa, started working in theater locally when I was nine, um, and was, went on a casting call for a movie when I was 13 called Desert Bloom. And that was, that sort of was the, the portal to this whole industry. Um, and yeah, so I started working in feature film when I was 13. From kind Iowa? Of a, you, that, that you got cast? Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh yeah. My parents were professors. Um, we, you know, they modified their schedules and, and basically we pursued it, but at the same time, right. So I, I kept working. And then after Mystic Pizza, Mystic Pizza was shot right before I graduated from, from high school. And then I went to Duke. I saw that in the, uh, and I was like, Oh, okay. You were at Duke when I was at BC. So we kind of had like a college overlap, Uh I think. Yeah. (laughs) And you were an yeah. English major and I was an English major. So maybe that's why we're, I'm putting normal in quotes. Cause I don't know that we're normal because anybody that does this is insane, but you know. Well, we're symbiotic in that sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you pulled yourself out of it. So you were doing it. I mean, Mystic Pizza was huge. That was, that was a big, big deal. Did you know that at the time? Like, were you aware of kind of that, that was like a zeitgeist movie? Was that, what was um, that like? You know, strangely, no. I was 16 at the time and and no one, you know, um, I remember my agent at the time said, don't go to college, just come out to Hollywood. And But I had an academic family and, and I thank God I went to college because it was a really sort of imperative time for me to just ground myself and learn and... Um, so yeah, but but only after I left school, or maybe my sophomore year, when they showed it, when they showed Mystic Peace at the you know the student union film, or you know it was sort of bizarre. But at that time too, you know that's when everybody was like you could go to college and people were special for writing and creating and doing things that Hollywood and social media didn't exist as it does now. Totally. Totally agree. You know? Yeah. So, so, um, so it was a novelty, but that's all it was really. It was a novelty and I didn't make anything more of it because I really wanted to have a 
an educational experience. And I'm so glad I did because Duke was amazing for me. Yeah. Was it now? What about Shag? You did Shag in 1989. That was prior to Duke also or during? Yep. That was prior to Mystic Pizza. I had, <laughs> in fact, that's why I knew about Duke because I went to a tour Duke when I was 16 when we shot Shag in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So that's how I, like, Duke was on my radar after, you know, Shag. <laughs> that's a, my wife oh, it loves that movie and w- always talks about you and your role in that. And like, that, that that's just, it's so cool that that was something you were doing when you were in high school. And so how did it, like, when you were growing up, were you fully acting? Were you also doing other extracurriculars? Like, were you playing sports? Were you, uh, or was it all acting and you were more on the artistic side and that was it? No, absolutely not. I was, I was, luckily I was able to get the very full spectrum of experience. I, I lived in Cedar Falls, Iowa, I was able to do theater. I was a cheerleader. I play. I ran track. I played volleyball. I. It was this beautiful sort of amalgam of growing up, um, and no one needed to kind of figure out who they were early on at that point in time. That was a few years ago, but but it was beautiful. And so no, I, I was able to live in these multiple worlds and. Um, maybe that was a kind of a harbinger of today because I think people are able to do that now. You can be an actor, be an athlete, be a coder, be a, you know, voiceover person, be all of these iterations. Yeah. Although I feel like, and you you know, you're a parent as well. So I'm sure you see this, uh, particularly around where we live. I feel like it's just gotten so serious for kids these days where, if you play sports, even within just playing sports, you have to specialize. If you, you know, it's like, what are you going to do when you get older? And and sometimes I think back, I think you and I had a, maybe it was kind of a similar upbringing in that, you know, I, I, I played sports. Uh, I, I wasn't acting back then, but I, I kind of was able to do a little bit of everything and I had no idea what I was going to do really. And that was okay. And that was like part of growing up. Whereas now, I mean, you are right. I think now you can cross over. If you're an actor, you can have a podcast, all that kind of stuff. You know, you can do different things, but I feel sometimes for the youth of America, like they're just being watched so much, even just through social media that it's kind of tough. You're like, God, you know, it'd be tough to be growing up right now. Oh, God, absolutely. Just social media alone is, is daunting. And, um, for, for a late 49, (laughs) I guess I'm 49, I'm 49. (laughs) Yes. Uh, it is, it is daunting now. I think, um, with the freedom of it comes responsibility and you have to be diligent. And I'm not exactly sure how we all navigate that going forward, but I think that there's a lot of opportunity for kids these days um, to find themselves. And, and I, we try not to with our kids to force them to specialize because I mean, if there's no joy in what they're doing, then it's all crushed. <laughs> right. Totally agree. And I, I think the same thing goes for us as adults forging our way creatively. If we, if there's no joy and believe me, I'm sure you and I, I know we've worked on things and it's been a job and we're, it's fine and it's great, but it doesn't like spark our fire or ignite us in the way that, is okay why am i here oh my gosh i want to be here um and and i think now is that beautiful opportunity where we can find and create those things without so much pressure because i mean there we have a lot of time and and there's no there should be no sarah borellis just posted this thing that was so good and i don't even think it was her 
quote, but it basically said, now is not the time to worry about creating your masterpiece or your best podcast or yada, yada. It was just about focus on who you are, what you want, what do you want to say, you know? Yeah. Without an outcome. Yeah. That's the bit. I mean, that's actually one of the best lessons from doing this podcast is that I started it, you know, like a complete bonehead. I mean, I had no strategy whatsoever and yet it was great because, because of that, like I was not beholden to anyone. I wasn't, it was just whatever I wanted to do, I could do. So it was an artistic expression. And luckily it has remained that way to this day where people ask, you know, the other day, someone just said, how do you get your guests? They're eclectic, you know, kind of a interesting combination. And I was like, it's, it's very organic. It just kind of, I haven't, there's no booker. There's no, it's just some people come to me. I go to some people, some people suggest someone. And I feel like with our, with our art, with our acting, it's, you, you know, not always easy to do that, which is probably why I built this thing was because, you know, you can't, you can't just say hire me and you're hired. I mean, a lot of times you're just at the whim of someone else bringing you on unless you create your own project. Um, well, and, and frankly, it's lonely, right? It's a, it's a, it can be a very lonely, um, profession if we're all just as it, as it used to be, I think it used to be where we're all just competing for a role and, oh my God, and there's few slots. And, and now I think that's shifted. I think now it's about, um, okay, there are so many there's so many platforms, there's so many roles there. You can create your own content nowadays. And like you just said, Matt, like you created this. And I think if there's a purity of intention behind your artistic desire, then it magnetizes people to, to, to want to share and want to talk because ultimately, again, like I think, like I said, art can be lonely. And if, but acting shouldn't be because we're really supposed to be interacting. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, so yeah. that's beautiful about what you're, what you're doing and what you've created. How many years have you had this podcast? It's been Seven, since eight? July. No, no, no. It's been since July of 2017. So it's like this summer, it'll be three years. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been kind of, it's been pretty magical in terms of, who I've been able to meet. And and it's funny you're saying that, that it's giving people an opportunity to talk because that was my biggest fear before I started it. I was like, no one's going to want to open up. No one's going to actually want to talk. And that was so far from the truth. I think people want to tell their story as long as you're, you know, you're. Re- I think I, I really feel like I have no ulterior motive. I mean, probably to the detriment of, of you know, marketing in a certain way. Like, I don't want to get dirt. I don't want, I don't care about gossip. I just like, I'm really interested in like, what, how does your mind work? How do you, you know, how do you navigate? Like, you know, so you, for example, where we were with your, you know, you do mystic pizza, you go back to Duke and you, you know, what was it that like kind of went behind that decision? And then how did the time at Duke then how, how did you re-enter this world? Like, did you have to choose to come back to it? Did it pull you back into it? And if so, were you refreshed after leaving it? Or mm. was it weird coming back? Like, how, how was that little roller coaster ride there? Uh, listen, this ride has never been easy, period starting early at 13, leaving high school, um, coming back to high school, already auditioning for things, you know, I'll never forget. I was a, I think I was a sophomore at Duke. I was, I tested for father of the bride. I didn't get it. Um, you know, I remember being sort of devastated at the time. Kimberly Williams is an amazing woman and I love her. And, and yet, you know, however many years ago, I remember thinking, Oh my God, that would have changed my life. 
but it um, it wasn't. I, I, I always come back to this thing, and it, ultimately, what is for you will find you. It's sort of a trite thing to say, um, but that wasn't meant for me that job. But I remember that being a, a huge um, loss for me, and one of the no's in the theme of your podcast, that was a big no for me that was sort of devastating. And then I had to navigate that emotionally. Um, but at the same time, now in hindsight, you just understand that uh, however, like that's our job when we sign up for this as actors or creatives or artists or writers or whatever your audience, we, we rejection is a part of the game. And so it's about somehow armoring up and yet learning how to de-armor when it's time. Because, you know, when the rejection happens, you just want to like click, 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 back it all in yeah. um, and say, nope, fuck it. I'm never, ever doing that again. I felt too vulnerable. I wanted something and I didn't get it. But um, that's the freaking journey right like you have to you have to learn how to put yourself out there be vulnerable even be rejected but know how to build your self-esteem up back again and understand like it's so funny I'm making all of these movements with my hands like <laughs> like robotic you know yeah. just somehow to try to Reacclimate and rebuild your structure, even in the midst of deep, deep, deep personal pain that feels like personal pain, but you get over it fast. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you have to. Do you have that thing where I'll have some audition or some job that I really want and I'm really like obsessed for the moment and trying to get it. And then I don't get it. You know, it's like, sometimes you don't, I mean, people that don't do this don't even realize like, sometimes you just, you don't even hear back. I mean, sometimes you're like, hey, whatever happened to that thing? And they're like, oh, uh, I'm not <laughs> sure. Let me look into it. You know? And you're like, yeah. there's no closure. There's nothing. But there are, there are times when I've gone through my, e my email inbox and I'll see an appointment that came in and it was something that was maybe not that long before that I wanted, I didn't get, and I've already just somehow programmed myself to put it out of my mind. And I'm like, wait, what was that one again? And, and, um, it's, it is interesting how something can seem so huge and then you get over it really quickly. And then now it's become this, like, from doing that for, for so long, it, it gets easier in a way to be able to open up to something, be vulnerable, lay it on the line, not get it and go, all right, let it go. Not, not always easy, but easier Absolutely. than it was. Absolutely, I, I, easier, not, no, easier, not easy. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's what my, yeah. Ed, Edward Padgett says that in his soul cycle class, easier, not easy. But, um, but, but to, he, here's my thing that I think is, essential because I think, yes, you build up a callus on your skin. You build up whatever this whole analogy of like having a thick skin or tough skin or armor, like I just said, but if that builds up too tough and too rough, then, then there's no real access and no vulnerability. So we have to, that is, I think that the real calibration the real trick of actors especially actors and writers too but um and maybe directors I don't know yet but I think you have to build up some sort of you have to have the 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 callus where you build up the strength and this tough skin but then you can also figure out how to open that up and soften it so that you can really show yourself still after all of the the hard work and the rejection and all of that, you still have to be open. Yeah. I, 
I agree. Does that make sense? Totally. No, I had a teacher that used to say, if it doesn't cost you anything, the audience isn't going to care. And so my thing, and, and the audience can't, the listeners here can't see this, but I think it was my son I was talking to the other day, who's, he's 12 and he's been acting just in like community theaters a little bit here. And even that he's like, he's playing basketball too. And he's like, I don't want to do this musical anymore. Like he, he kind of, and I'm like, don't do it. I don't, you know, my wife and I are like, we're, we're not telling you to do it. Like do something, you know, it's not our decision. But I said to him, I don't know what we were watching. It could have even been like the office or something like that, which I probably shouldn't be showing to my 12 year old, but he does watch it. And, uh, and, and I was saying, you know, for it, I said the the beauty of that show, I think it was that is that it's really funny, but they all, and particularly Steve Carell, there's a real vulnerability there. And I was saying to him, like, when you, when you act, it's like, you have to open your arms out like this and you have to expose yourself Mm -hmm. And by exposing yourself, you're letting people in so that hopefully they can, if they can't do that themselves in their own life, they can do that through your performance because you're kind of taking the bullet for them. You're going to go through this, like, you know, go through the ringer in whatever the story is that you're telling. And then hopefully if you do it and it costs you something, they're going to get to feel what it would have felt like had they done that, or they've done something similar. So they identify with it or whatever. And that's kind of, that's kind of the art. And that is what's really tough is when you do that, you kind of go there and people are like, nope, we don't want you. And then you're like, ah, then you got to go back to the drawing board, but it is what it is, you know? But Matt, go to the, like, because I think it's interesting when you say it costs you something. Yes, it costs us something emotionally to spend ourselves. But then what we get back in return, you know what I mean? Like, yes. where it's not like, co- it costs us something, but but then the reward is freaking amazing when you, and it doesn't even take any, like, if you're in a scene and you're working with another actor and you spend yourself emotionally and then you, um, you're, it's reciprocal and then you're like, Oh my God, amazing. That was the jam. So I know we're cross topicing in terms of auditions and working, but, but I think there's both, you know, you can spend yourself in audition and audition and audition and maybe however many, the 10th one you'll get it. Yeah. Um, I agree. If you, if you, the, the, uh, the joy of doing something, it's like riding a wave and and it's like, it's on the day of doing it. When you have that with your scene partner, there's that kind of elation. And then there's also the, the way you were just saying that now, like it costs you something, but you get back. I'm just thinking of, um, this, the, uh, Netflix show that I did was like, I, where I played an actor and he was so up and down and it was really like, it was so funny, but it was also very, uh, it was very exposing. I mean, I felt like, and sometimes I was like, God, I feel <laughs> way, way too much like this guy who's supposed to be set up as a buffoon and like this guy who's like this desperate guy. And, and, but it's almost like, it's almost like, I guess, like throwing up, like it's hard to lead up to it, but once you do it, it feels so good. And then once other people, you know, get to experience it and they feel something, you get to kind of relive the joy of whatever work you put into it or whatever exposure you put into it. And if you kind of cheat on the way there and you don't really go, you don't really get the response, you know? Yeah. It's kind yeah. of like you only get out of it, what you put into it, you know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting in thinking about what you're saying, uh, you know, we can commit entirely a thousand million times percent to an audition and we can invest and we can know and try to manifest it and we can give everything and we don't get it. And that could be devastating, except that I do believe in this whole artistic process kind of it's a little bit more um etheric or quantum physics or whatever i do think that you know and there are going to be those auditions that we 
don't, we're like sort of half-assing it and whatever we tried, we didn't commit. Then the ones we do, when they come back to us, it's like, it just sort of falls into itself. The wave recycles itself and then we get what we need. Is that is that yeah. too esoteric? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I mean, you're you're making me think like I have a whole thing because I've just been going through this because I, I I think I told you I ended up yeah you know, I, I wrote a book that'll come out so I'm like proofreading the book and I'm reading through some of the stories and uh, it's easier now it's way easier looking back and like you know looking back and seeing things having played out in a certain way than when you're right in it sometimes it feels just totally devastating. Um, but there are these, you know, there's peaks and valleys, obviously. And I think in our business, they're probably a little more exaggerated than many other businesses aside from maybe entrepreneurial pursuits. But, um, but in those valleys, and I have many examples of it where the valley informed the next, the next peak or the, the valley is why I got the next job. Because sure. of what I just went through. And it really is. And and part of that is hopefully kind of looking at wherever you are. And I mean, I'm trying to do it right now with everything that's going on in the world. It's like something comes at you. It's not what you wanted. It's not what you think you need, but it is what's coming at you. And you convince yourself that it is what you need and you convince yourself that it's a gift. And some people, you know, I feel like sometimes people look at me like, okay, come on, man. Like you're, cause I'm generally, I try to look at things as though, okay, this is like, what's the opportunity here? Because for me, that's the only way to survive. And that may be. You're not, not a, you're not a um, innately depressive uh, actor type. <laughs> no, I mean, I've got it in me. I think. I think that that's in me somewhere because I think sometimes my my reaction to the the down is to do to pull myself out of it and I think that's a way of like because I can't handle like I remember at one point working do you know Kim Gillingham actress uh, sorry yeah. acting coach okay so yeah. she yeah. does all of this for anybody who's listening you know it's a, this Jungian I've, I've talked about her on this show before but yeah. it's like Jungian dream work and and all this and I remember working with her a while ago and there was something to the effect of I said yeah I just don't I don't feel that much it was something where it was like it required kind of it didn't require but it, it could have used I felt like I should have been more emotionally connected to something and I said I just don't think I'm the kind of guy that like cry like I, there's a lot of times like at funerals I won't cry I won't I just don't and she and I'm like I just think I don't have it in me she goes I actually think the opposite I think I, agree. I think I you agree. feel so much oh, yeah. that you've that you've squeezed it you you've clamped it down so much because you can't go there because you have such big feelings and yeah. so so to answer your question no I wouldn't describe myself as like a Depressed. I don't think anybody around me would. I mean, I think, you know, Deirdre's like, oh God, here's Tony Robbins. Like when the whole coronavirus hits, she's like, God, I'm going to have to like be stuck with you <laughs> with my motivating, you know, like monologues to the family. And, right. and so I don't think people would describe me that way, but I do think there are times like I've noticed when I'll, I'll have guests on this show and I, I noticed I'll ask them like, so do you ever have you know, what do you do when you have a hard time? Like you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. And I'm thinking like the only reason a guy asks that question is because I feel that sometimes, you know? And so I'm like wondering why or how someone else deals with it. Cause I do have those days where I go like, man, I'm like pushing, pushing, pushing. I'm like, for what, you know? Oh, fuck. Yeah. I mean, listen, after all of these years of being an actor and, um, hustling in Hollywood, it, it, there are definitely times, especially, and this is where I think you and I are also similar, Matt, is that, um, you know, I come from a pretty normal, no one else in my family is, uh, well now Wade is a, a super successful <laughs> Emmy nominated Senate coordinator, but, um, <laughs> but no one in my family is really in the industry. And, and everyone that I know is pretty normal. My, my, my friend set 
are not typically, yes, they're artists, but they're not necessarily Hollywood people. Cause I've just, it's not my jam. Like I, I don't need to go to parties. I don't need to, you know, it's just not my thing. I'm, I'm much more of a homebody and an introvert socially for that. Um, but I think for those of us who that's almost harder when you're not a full bent actor, you know, like there's a little bit more responsibility to like, yes, we're pursuing these things where yes, we're auditioning, but then we have to, we're just normal as well. Yeah. Which I think more and more, more people are than I, I imagined. Like, you know, the further along, the the more, the longer I've been doing this, the more really great people I've, I've, I've really come across some great people in my pursuits. I mean, Wade, your husband, I don't know if the beginning of this audio will be cut off eventually. So Wade Allen, stunt coordinator, who I worked with on Wind River in case that, that got chopped out. Um, you know, just, just a great guy, you know, in front of and behind the camera, yeah. you, you know, you kind of come across people. Whereas like in the beginning you think, you know, oh, Hollywood, Hollywood. But I kind of think everybody's thinking, oh, Hollywood. Everybody thinks everybody else likes going to the premiere, but like no one likes going to the premiere. You know what I mean? That, that's, I, know, I think I know. that's the, I think that's the big, the big secret, you know? And, and I, yes, I do have a similar thing where I have so many of my friends are outside of the business. And then, you know, I've, I've got like my core little group of actor friends that I've known forever. Yeah. Um, and thank God for them because, you know, the, there are so many times where just one of us is on the edge and the other one is just pulling that guy off the ledge and just going like, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It, it's just what happens, you know? Um, yeah. Because I think in terms of, um, and, and I do think this metric is changing nowadays i think there used to be a big metric of um okay fame and success meant fame right like you're in a hit tv show you're in a hit uh tentpole movie or whatever now it's not so much anymore because there are so many arenas and it's it's equalized i think and neutralized fame and made fame whatever that word is i don't like it um, but it's made success, let's say more equalized and neutralized, right? Because you can create your own show from your basement nowadays and have whatever, I don't know, like the YouTube followers and blah, blah, blah. But my point is that the metrics are changing. And so we're all like, all it is really now is it's a platform of creation. Let's just create. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, and it's, uh, yeah, that's one of the things, you, you know, I want to get to at some point, we'll talk about the Quibi project that you have coming out. We'll explain that to people. And yeah, I mean, it's whether it's, you know, podcasts, it's, it's YouTube, it's, you know, it's a TV or it's a web series or, you know, I remember doing, I did something with Richard Schiff after the West Wing, we did this, yeah. it was called, it was like a web series. It was like before, you know, before Amazon and Netflix, or maybe they were around, but it wasn't what it was today. And it was this weird thing, but it was actually a cool little show as a political show. And I remember being like, this is, this is really cool, but like, no one's going to watch it. And people did watch it, but it was, it was, it was great. It was like we shot it with a Canon 5D. And I remember at one point they had like a suction cup on the windshield of the car as we're driving around. And it was so gorilla style. But then you've got, you've got, yeah, it was like, but Richard Schiff is an incredible actor. And then you had yeah. Robin Weigert from Deadwood was in it. And it was like, I was like, this is incredible. And really that was ahead of its time because that now has turned into this, this golden age of content creation. And you know, to the point where you and I are sitting down on the mic, Annabeth, I, I like, there's a lot of your material that I've not seen. And I think I feel like that with so many people, there are, there are huge hit shows that I don't know, or I've seen one episode, you know, it's just crazy. What? You don't know how great I am? 
I do know how great you are. I have your, I, we have your highlight reel just playing in the kitchen all day long. Um, here's the thing too. No, I, I that's what's so exciting. Yes. Uh, yes. I've been around for freaking forever. Um, but I think nobody can say no anymore. Like to, to, to your success, like this podcast, like 10,000 no's, 10,000 no's. Yeah. It might be, it might be getting up near a hundred thousand no's, but right now it's 10,000. I mean, I've certainly been around for, you know, for a long time. So I'm sure I'm probably to a hundred thousand no's, but, but who can say no anymore? Yeah. You know, you make your own, that's, that's everything I'm every with the, the young people I'm mentoring through my, um, alumni college and whatever. Um, yes, Duke, um, you, you just say, make your own shit. Yeah. Create it. Just yeah. go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let, let me yeah. get, let me go back. Cause I like, I love this just riffing on this. I also want to kind of run through a little bit of like the, a little bit of the timeline. We don't need to go, you know, project by project, but like yeah. just on your, on your re-entrance from Duke, you went yeah. in and I think you did. So you did some, some pretty big movie. I mean, Nixon, Wider, Beautiful yep. Girls. I love Beautiful Girls. That was like one of those, that was one of those ones that like everybody my age, just like that was quintessential kind of, what was that? Like mid nineties, right? Ninety-six yeah, ish, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, um, 90, yeah, ninety-six. Yeah. What are what was that like? Like coming out of Duke? Did you did you go back and feel like okay, I'm glad I went back. I had this. I have this. I had this experience, and now I'm. What was the post college like? Were you fully out, and then you got back in, or were you? Uh, no, I was never fully out. I took one semester off um, my sophomore year to shoot a movie with Jenna Rollins, a television movie with Jenna Rollins, which was obviously you can't say no to working with that wow. legendary actress. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I, essentially, I went to college for four years. Um, then I came out and moved back to LA. That was actually the very first time I'd had I had moved to LA. And it was, you know, I mean, I, I was very fortunate, yes, because the very first thing I got was Wyatt Earp with a Lawrence Kasdan film with Kevin Costner. Um, and then the Nixon shortly thereafter. And yes, yeah, so I had continued, I had a nice, really good run through um, my, my late 20s. Then... Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think I did, uh, I, I met Wade, we got married. Um, I did brotherhood, which was a massively huge show for me personally, just because I loved the show Yeah. showtime. And at the same time, uh, while we worked on that show together, that was the first show Wade and I had actually worked together on. Of course I got pregnant twice and <laughs> during the run of that show. Wow. Yes, exactly. Um, and then, then you know, that was hard. The two years after, two, three years after that um, was a little bit difficult because I was just primarily mom, which was great, but hard. Um, How did that then, shift for you? Sorry to interrupt, but like, yeah. like, cause you, to me, you've really, you've not slowed down. It's not like, like, I feel like sometimes maybe maybe that's just from the outside perspective and maybe you you disagree but i feel like you are very busy right now maybe that's just my perception but it seems like you're playing you know rich roles you're you're working all the time was that transition to motherhood what did that affect your career in a way that like most people think it does or did you like how did it change your priorities and all of that Oh gosh, that's a, that's a, a good, deep question. Yes. It was a big transition. I, you know, having them sort of pregnancy and babies early was one thing, but then, um, transitioning full-time to motherhood was, 
uh, it was a difficult balance and I didn't do a good job in terms of, um, I, I mean, I did a good job raising my kids, but how do I say that? Right. Um, it was, it was just a transition that it was a rough transition. It was right around 2008 after my second son was born and, uh, it was the economic crash. Um, and it was rough. That was a rough time. Like, I don't think I got, like I auditioned for a ton of things and never got cast. It was really rough. Um, so there was a good two years that was, um, really dry and, and yet, again, in hindsight, in my overall spiritual perspective, um, there, thank God, because I was able to really be with my kids. Like I breastfed both of my sons and I was there 24 seven and Wade was working on Batman. So he was gone. So there was that negotiation of mothering and parenting and, um, you know, uh, co-spousing where, my husband needed to rise to his work and I needed to be with the kids. So, but all of that was difficult and challenging for sure. Yeah. What's the biggest challenge? Like, is there a part of you that's like, you're, you're there. Cause I, I know I will feel this sometimes it's like be, between the ambition of wanting to do things and wanting to, to work and then also wanting to be there with your kids. And then I almost feel like it's, well, I don't almost feel, I think it's, it it is more difficult on the mother because I feel like there's this mother child bond that's so, you know, so strong that it's got to be even more of a stretch. Like it's got like, and then you feel guilty that you, if you do want to work or whatever, oh, it's got to be a, a whole mind game. All of it. And I, and I know, I only know this because my husband and I, because I've seen his, I can't, um, he's had the exact same conflict as the kids have gotten older, which has led him to choose to stay home and choose his jobs in LA. So I know it's not just a gender thing. It's not like, yes, you're absolutely right. Especially perhaps in the early years, um, I needed to be the primary parent there. Um, and I know for a fact that certainly energetically that, that guided my, I didn't work because I probably was not, um, how do I say it? I was not, I, I, w- I didn't want to work. Yeah. You know, yeah, you weren't fully there probably. Yeah. I wanted to be with my kids. I had my kids to have them and to raise them and to, and now that they're not babies anymore, for sure. You know, as they've gone into adolescence, Wade is such a present father that he's, chosen to stay home with them. And, and again, I always hesitate around this conversation because I'm not judgmental and we all have to parent and navigate that whole ambition slash um, parenting obligation thing um, delicately. Yeah. Because we need to make money. Right. right. <laughs> Meet our kids and to, and also be happy and sustain ourselves. Um, but yeah, that's always a juggling act, always how to, how to juggle your creative fulfillment and then your parental loving responsibilities. It's, it's male or female, very difficult, I think. Yeah. And do you, do you have, I suspect the answer is going to be yes. I actually think maybe I do. You write as well, right? You write and do you have a lot of other kind of creative offshoots other than acting that keep you sparked a lot, like for when, for the times when it is desolate on the work front? Yeah, I do. Um, I have been a, a, like a closeted writer for many years and um, I'm not particularly a good self-starter. So I have tons of things that I've written and started in my, you know, like... <laughs> We Same laugh, you know, here. I just have bins and bins of things. I, I really function well as a team player. Um, I love being in a community. I love being a part of it. That's why I love being a series regular because I'm always with 
people and I have a purpose and it's a, it's a commitment. And, um, but I'm learning in these days uh, to try to self-start, yeah. <laughs> try to, but I really do thrive in the, in a community more than yeah. I do selfishly. Yeah. And that's, I think that's part of the whole thing is like get, figuring all of that, figuring all of that out as you go and not feeling uh, guilty about it. And I think I've had a, a similar thing where, you know, you, you want to be the person that's, I'm the same way. It's like, you want to be a certain way, but maybe your skills and your particular personality lends itself more to another way. And you kind of have to go, okay, well then just put myself in a situation where that is the case. And that will be, that'll actually be better in the long run, you know, yeah. to yeah. collaborate. Um, collab yeah. Collaborate. Um, so let's see where, where, I mean, I, I, yes, I have, I've optioned a novel. I've written a screenplay, my very first screenplay. And I want to, I wrote it specifically because I want to direct. I don't want to be in it, but I want to, I, I, I think I'm moving towards that directing arena. That's great. That's great. So wait, you wrote a novel. No, I optioned it. Oh, we you, optioned you, oh, you, oh, you optioned a novel that you want to, <laughs> you want to turn into a, yes. a film. Okay. Um, yeah. I love that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's kind of crazy to think that I, I, uh, yeah, that, that's a good example of like when they, when somebody puts it on your plate and you have to do it, that's, it was great motivation. I, after doing that, I've realized anybody can, I think if they just are given the right motivation. You know, it was like I had no option but to do it. Once, once we kind of signed in on it, I was like, "All right, I got to write it." And then you're, and then all of a sudden you go, "There it is," and it, and it actually, okay. it actually happened relatively quickly. And I'm sure it was related to, in a weird way, I was writing it already by doing this podcast. It's kind of an extension of a lot of stuff that gets talked about here. So, um, but yeah, it is, um, it is, it is fun to discover what other kind of little twists and turns you can make creatively and how they can come back and inform your main art, which I think for you and I is, is acting. Um, but it, it all can be informed by these other things. And it's like, as long, like, I think you said it very early in the conversation, if you can keep yourself sparked in some way, that's kind of, that's the trick. And I know I've certainly had periods of my career where I didn't feel sparked and it started to feel like a job and that's like, it's not a good place yeah. to be, you know, No way. No. Uh -uh. but it's, but it's the reality for, I mean, certainly it was for me for a lot of the time because I just, you know, I didn't, I, I, for whatever reason, maybe, I don't know, but I just w wasn't necessarily working on all of the things that I would have hoped to work on. And I still look at the career and go, man, what have I done? You know, like, <laughs> I don't know if you, do you feel that way too, where you just go like, I haven't done anything yet? Oh, oh my God. Of course. I mean, I, y yes, I feel like, I mean, I'm 49. I just turned 49 and I feel like I'm just beginning. I feel like I've, I'm grateful for the, the, I've worked in great company and over very many years. And yet sometimes I would like to go back now and be the actor that I am now uh, or the artist because I feel like I'm so much more informed than I was then. So yes, I feel like there's, it's where I'm just beginning yeah. and, and yet the, there's also a continuum that's beautiful. And I think we have to own where we came from or we started what we're doing now. I get very, uh, you know, like I haven't lost a job today. So <laughs> it would be a different conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. No, it's a, what my friend and I call it the Dolly. You know, if it's me talking, it's the Dolly Maddie. Like if I've, if I've got a job, it's so easy to be like, you just have to relax. You know, you just gotta, you gotta lean into it, lean into, but when you don't have, you know, when you're, when totally. you, when you're in the other spot, which I've been in quite a bit, which is why I have a show called 10,000 Knows, is it's it's hard to 
it's hard to do because you're like, yeah, I got to put food on the table and like, it's hard, but, but that is really what's kind of required is staying loose even in those moments, you know? It's an aphorism that I hate, but like, I remember my, because I, you know, like now that we have kids and you, you cannot indulge in any kind of like, we, Wade and I, like Wade will give me like, you know, a couple hours to be sad. Yeah. <laughs> and gotta like go, but it's picking yourself up by the bootstraps. It's such a sort of a male, I shouldn't use that because it's so sort of, I don't know. I, I, I should find a better one, but, but it is, it's like, get up. You got to get up. You got to get up. You got to keep going. It's, it's, you can be sad for a little bit. You can be sad. You can be mad, but you can't be mean. That's our rule in this house. You can, yeah. failure comes, right? So you can be sad, like failure and rejection happens. You can be sad, you can be mad, but you can't be mean. So that's, that's, that, that's sort of, sort of whenever the no's come, that's our mantra. Yeah. That's, that's a great mantra because it is, it, it is easy to be, to take it out on the people that are close to you. And it's good to just have that in place. Um, so yeah. I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm going to kind of, I wanted to hit on one thing just because I want people to, I'm curious about it myself. And also I want people to hear about it literally right. I didn't get to read the article, but right before we got on, it was on deadline. It was like six minutes before we were getting on to start this interview. There was something about Quibi and, um, you know, is it going to be the next new thing? So you've got, I believe you have like the first, the show that you are on, um, is it hashtag free Rayshon or just free Rayshon? Is Am I totally mis- pronouncing that uh, you you can talk about it but basically what quibi is and it seems like that was the first studio backed show like it's a legit huge production but it's for these mini episodes so let us know about that yeah well i'm i'm excited to be a part of it it's it's a quibi launched show called hashtag free ration um and or or free ration. It's Stefan James and Lawrence Fishburne. And, uh, um, it's just a great cast. It's a very vital topic, sort of race relations and, um, power struggles, but it's on Quibi, which is this new platform, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman. And the whole point of Quibi is quick bites, right? Quibi, quick bites, 10 minute episodes. Um, Free Rayshon was uh, or is a Antoine Fuqua produced production, um, and it's it's freaking. It's I'm so excited to see it. I haven't seen. I've seen the trailer. I haven't seen, and I've uh, looped for it, but I haven't seen the whole thing. But you know, this whole new concept of they sh we shot it as a feature, but they shot it also so that it could be viewed for a phone horizontally and vertically framed um, so that people can just watch it in quick bites, like, you know, quick snippets. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, I, I think narratively, I don't know if they're going to release it one episode at a time or if they're just going to download it all, but essentially you will watch it in episodic form. Um, and every cut has a, a cliffhanger. So it's a huge new sort of idea, right? For, for narrative drama. Yeah. Yeah. We, it's, I remember reading about it a, a while ago because my friends and I had, had um, shot this little digital series. We did like a pilot that we shot. It was, it was kind of pre Quibi, but it was very similar to Quibi. It was about a, an Uber driver and we were calling it wherever the night and we pitched it all over town and people mm -hmm. liked it. And it's ironic. And the reason I bring it up is because for people listening about, you know, having to kind of innovate and roll with the punches. When we did this several years ago, it was with my buddy, Chris Messina and another friend, Billy Tangrady. And we got, uh, we got uh, Olivia Munn to be in it. And it was this really cool thing. We shot it like cinematically and it was mm -hmm. six minutes and we had a whole Bible to the first season and it was really cool. And everybody was like, we love it, but can you turn it into a half hour show? Cause it's just, 
it's just too short. And it was like six minute episodes. And now we were ahead of the time. We were ahead of the time. And now like we've kind of gone back and it's like we're we're kind of out of the game. And it's it, it's but it's it's interesting just because on a show that's about no's and reframing and kind of, you know, having to deal and be resilient, it's it's so appropriate that you're as as the world is changing right now because of COVID. And I don't know when we'll release this, but like we're in this very weird state and everybody's pivoting and going virtual and all of this. And now this format may explode, you know, in a a great way. I, I have a feeling this is perfect timing for it. I think that's what the, you know, the article was like, yeah, the headline was Peter Bart, it says Quibi's success would mean Jeffrey Katzenberg might be right this time. And and it's all about how this is, you, you know, this is it's an interesting experiment. And I don't know. I I, I feel like the timing is gonna be good for you guys with what's happening. Holy cow. Can you imagine the stress that Jeffrey Katzenberg must feel right now? <laughs> I mean, yeah. But like putting like it is, it's a but yes, I, I think. Um, but to your point, Matt, also, and I think we can wrap it up in this sense is that pivoting is necessary. Fluidity is necessary. You, you, for what we do in this industry, we have to be flexible and move and hustle and, and shapeshift to just because somebody says no, doesn't mean no you're done. You're not, you don't have it like bullshit. I think a no can be a pivot point. Um, another no can be a, a side post. You know what I mean? Like no's can mean uh, they're just diversions. They don't have to be walls or blockades or obstacles. Totally agree with you. And it's almost like you know this format so well, because that's like my final, those final three questions I usually ask people, like, what does the word no mean to you? You just answered. And then the other question I was going <laughs> to, I always ask people is if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? What wait, what age would I intervene? Um, hmm. Hard because I feel like I was old. I was too. I was old, young, and then I. I don't know. I wasn't young enough. I, so so I'm. Not, I'm. I don't know how to answer that question. If, but I know what I would tell my younger self. What's that? I would say, shed the inhibition, go for it, don't be shy, and believe in yourself. And also, you know, I do think there's also um, a real value to a discipline and structure and a schedule. You know, I think um, for so many young people, especially back in the day, um, I wish I had these outlets where I could have had more freedom to create my own content or whatever. Now it's like, okay, oh my God, now I have the courage to do it because I'm almost 50 and let's go you know, but, but back then I would have said, just go, just go take your foot off the brake and go. Yeah. That's great advice. One last little, and I have that advice to myself actually. So one last little thing. Do you, when everything goes sideways, do you have, do you have any go-to mantra that kind of gets you through it, gets you out of it, gets you around it? Hmm. I mean, I, I grew up in a very, uh, sort of a, uh, not religious, but a Lutheran family. And, and my father always said, you know, this too shall pass. I think that's a, a sort of a mantra. Um, but at the other end of that spectrum is um, a college professor, Reynolds Price always said, you know, leap and the net will appear. I, I really do believe that in some ways we have to... Uh, go inward and collect ourselves and take care and heal. But we also have to leap and, and go for it and reveal our vulnerabilities because that's where the beauty of connection is. 
people see who we are and feel better once they know they're not alone. That's, that's awesome. And I, and I agree. <laughs> I'm kind of speech. I am like, I, I love the way you put it. Um, Annabeth Gish, it's such a pleasure. It's such an honor. I mean, we kind of didn't do the typical kind of go through everything and I, but I love it because you're, you're so, uh, philosophical and, and you have such great, just great thoughts and, and you're so open and, and honest. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure that everybody listening will appreciate it. Thank you for, for being on. What we do here is go back, 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 back. Okay. Top three takeaways. If you're new, this is what we do. Number one, I thought this one was super important, especially for right now with what we're all going through throughout the world. Failure comes, right? So you can be sad, like failure and rejection happens. You can be sad, you can be mad, but you can't be mean. It's pretty simple. It's going to get rough for all of us at one point or another, but do your best to not take it out on the people around you, especially the ones you're closest to. Number two, this one's the great lesson I've learned on this podcast for myself. But we also have to leap and and go for it and reveal our vulnerabilities because that's where the beauty of connection is. People see who we are and feel better once they know they're not alone. Truly, that's what I've discovered with this show. I got out on this mic. I started revealing more of my warts, airing my anxieties and underlying truths in public. And where I thought I might get burnt by doing that, I've actually benefited. People come out of the woodwork to support me. And maybe more importantly, those that I wasn't reaching before have now reached out saying they feel more understood, whether by me or one of my guests like Annabeth or just the whole idea of this show. They feel less alone. And that has just been awesome to see. Number three, a ton of people reached out to us after the Monday Morsel solo episode, April 20th. Um, they, they said that they felt heard. They felt understood. The title of it was Take Action Now, Course Correct Later. But the gist of it was what Annabeth said about her advice to her younger self. But back then I would have said, just go, just go, take your foot off the brake and go. I absolutely agree with that advice. I hope you do too. I hope that taking your foot off the brake is all you needed to do in order to go toward your goals. And speaking of going, that's what I'm about to do. This has been a pleasure. Annabeth Kish, thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Listener. Thank you, truly. Um, this whole thing is really for you. So let us know how we can use the show, our guests, this content in the best way to help you. We've been cooking up some things that we're excited about, but let us know who you are and, and, and what you want and how we can help you get it. All right. As we always say, check out the links in the show notes if you want more information about Annabeth. And again, if you love this show, please rate and review it. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Turn on your notifications so you don't miss any episodes. Last thing, for announcements and promo videos of who's next, no longer on my personal Instagram. Instead, follow us at, at 10,000 knows on Instagram, at 10,000 knows on Twitter, and email us at info at 10,000 knows.com if you want to be added to our mailing list. Next Friday, fitness guru JT Moraniak, who came back from an almost life ending addiction. Incredible story. See you then, unless you tune in for my brief little pump up to start your week on Monday Morsels. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.